We all have dreams. Some people seem to live theirs while others seem to struggle. This is, however, merely a perception. What if you could get the answers you needed to execute on your dreams? Welcome to the Platinum Mask Podcast, a show designed to ask various young professionals just how they deal with their specific ups and downs. How does one young upstart navigate competing with name brand companies? Where do we get the best tools? How do we grow from our stress and anxiety? Most importantly, how do we properly utilize our cash flow? The Platinum Mask Podcast with your host, Grayson Mask. We wanted answers, so we're going out to get them and sharing them with you. Let's get right into today's episode. Hello to everyone listening. This is the Platinum Mask Podcast. I am Grayson Mask. I have with me Adam Evers of Blue Mania. He is the creator and founder of this uh, new energy drink company that is trying to rival and take care of some of the cons that are sometimes associated with past energy drinks. Um, this was kind of a company that I mainly found out about through just going to some uptown bars. And no, you, you know, I was kind of expecting to see, you know, Red Bull case on the um, on-premise location, but, you know, saw the Blue uh, Mania Energy drink cans and wanted to try one. Uh, so, you know, tried a can and, you know, I was very intrigued by the product just because I thought it was, you know, it's different from maybe a normal energy drink I've tried in the past. Um, you know, it doesn't really have the same type of crash I've experienced in the past. I thought it had, you know, very just, uh, you know, strong um, taste, didn't really taste like there was a lot of preservatives in it. Um, but no, no, I was very intrigued by the product and just wanted to reach out. So thank you again, Adam, for jumping on this podcast episode with me and having this conversation. Absolutely, Grayson. I'm, I'm happy to be here, brother, uh, ready to share our story. Uh, and I'm super stoked that you were able to try our product um, at, uh, at one of our accounts uh, here in the city. And uh, man, just ready to get going with you and, and share a story. Definitely. Well, I kind of wanted to ask, uh, you know, to start out really on your introduction to, I, I guess, starting business from kind of what I read on a couple articles, it seems like you got, you know, pretty started pretty early as far as um, your intrigue into, you know, creating small businesses. What, is it true? Like, wasn't your first business uh, like a candle making operation? Yeah, man. So the first business I got involved with was a candle making company with uh, my girlfriend at the time's dad. Um, and just being a science nerd, um, he and I were able to uh, look into the chemistry behind candles, uh, how different waxes interact with one another, um, and then how you can uh, add certain ingredients into the wax um, to interact with the scents to actually, number one, make the scent stronger and make it proliferate better throughout a room. And then number two, working with some of the, the, uh, the metallics within the wick, um, how to make it burn longer. So we took an eight ounce candle and were able to make that thing burn for 100 hours, which was absolutely fantastic. The company did great. It's still around to this day. Uh, my girlfriend's family, uh, they still run. It's called Legacy Candles. I was based in Rowlett and they're still rocking and rolling, man. And uh, that was a, that was really my first experience into um, what it took to be an entrepreneur and to see the kind of the sacrifice that you have to make as you start into owning your own business. Uh, my girlfriend's dad, Kevin Thompson, um, he had you know, he had a full time job that he was running. And then when we started this, it was really a group effort between all of us. I was going to school at the time, obviously high school and then into college. 
um, growing that business and all the sacrifices that go into that. A lot of people don't understand when you start a business, you know, if you're not prepared to jump in full, full force, you know, you've got to make that time sacrifice um, to to really ensure that the business can get going and the business can get where, where it wants to go. And then at some point in time, you know, you really do have to learn to to, to overcome your fear, jump in full force. You know, I use a, the metaphor all the time to people that uh, want to start a business. It's, it's like, look, you see those polar bear challenges where those guys jump into those frozen, um, you know, those frozen pools and things like that. Look, if you're trying to tippy toe into that thing, you're not going to make it. you got to jump full force into it. And that's very similar to the way, you know, being a business owner is. If you want to do something, you got to jump in full force with all of your energy, with all of your might, and just accept that initial shock, uh, that initial cold that fills your lungs, uh, and then be able to weather that. And then once you know, once you're in it, you're in it, man. And you can your your body will uh, your acclimate, uh, your mind will acclimate, and you'll 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 be used to it. And then the benefits come. And that's really the same way as um, you know I I, I uh, associate with being a business owner, man. Once you're in it, it's very overwhelming. Um, but you know, if you have what it takes to truly be a business owner, you'll adapt, you'll improvise and you'll overcome. Definitely. No, I kind of liked, um, you know, you kind of touched up on really with the time commitment that's required to be an entrepreneur. And it seems, uh, you know, when I saw your background with legacy candles, it seems like you had kind of a foot in, you know, the science and then a foot in like the actual business aspect. Was there a time that you had to kind of choose, you know, being a business owner over, was there ever a period where you're kind of wanting to go into like a lab or work in biology? Yeah, no, you know, I, I, I wanted to be a doctor for a while. Okay. Um, and you know, crazy story is that, um, the last day prior to, uh, my, my last exam prior to, to graduation, um, my classmates and I are walking into our favorite professor, Dr. Ripple's class. And, um, we're all getting ready for our final exam. Graduation is like in a few days after that, Dr. Ripple walks in and he says, we're all my medical students. We all raise our hands. Um, he said, okay, I want to talk to you guys after the class or after the exam. He said, okay. So <clears throat> I finished the exam. Um, I'm on crutches at the time because I just got finished having some knee surgery. Um, uh, tore, blew out my knee right before um, graduation. And uh, so I get done. Back then, we we don't have the cool uh, iPhones that we, we do now. I had a, a Nokia 3310. So I'm playing Snake on my phone for about 30 minutes until the rest of my classmates finish up. After we're all done, Professor Ripple walks out and says, uh, okay, is everybody here? We look around and we see that, you know, all of our classmates that are going to medical school are there. And uh, he looks directly at me and says, Evers, I want to talk to you last. I'm like, damn, man. You know, I want to, <laughs> you know, I want to, I was like the second person done with the exam. I want to get out of here. And uh, he said, don't worry about it. He said, you know, we'll, we'll make this quick. So about 15, 20 minutes goes by. He talks to everybody. And then um, it's my turn. He comes out and talks to me. And, uh, he, he looks at me, he said, how, Hey, how are, you, are you all set for the future? Is everything ready to go? How, how are things going? I said, yeah, Dr. Ripple, that's good, man. I'm still trying to decide what school I want to go to. Um, but I've got some, you know, I do pretty well on the MCAT and um, ready to really make the decision to where I want to go. And he looks at me and he's like, Oh, that's great. He, and then he dead, dead straight in my eyes says under no circumstances are you supposed to go to medical school? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I said, what the, like, really, man? Like, what are you talking about? Um, and he's, he just looked at me and said, man, he goes, did you enjoy school? And I said, I mean, and he goes, I know you didn't. He goes, I've been your professor for four years. He said, I, he goes, I know how bored you get in labs. He said, you, you, you know, you run through these labs as quick as you can. He's like, you, you just, you're a people person. You know, you're constantly talking to people. He said, let me ask you a quick question. How many businesses do you have? 
And I said, well, at the time I was 23 years old. I said two. And he said, um, he said, exactly. He said, what he goes, I, what I would recommend is that you, you go into the business world. He said, you can use your expertise in biology and in biochemistry and everything that you've learned. He said to go into some type of medical business. He said, but I really think that, you know, if you were to spend the next 12 years of your life uh, in labs and listening to teachers and all this other stuff that you would really be just a miserable person. And I took that, you know, I took that to heart and uh, ended up going to grad school, um, learning as much as I could about um, the rest of the biology field um, and, and, and business field. Um, and then, you know, got a job uh, out of when I finished school with a uh, with a national medical provider, um, gleaned as much information as uh, from that as I could, and then jumped into my first business at 25 years old um, uh, after college that was really just mine, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, man, I, I, I don't think I ever could have been just sitting in a lab by myself, you know, doing busy work, trying to create, um, you know, different tests and things like that. Now, that's not to say that I don't get in the lab nowadays working with my flavor scientists to create awesome uh, new products. But man, if that was my day to day job, I would absolutely be miserable. I'd never get anything done because I'd be too busy trying to talk to people. <laughs> no, I kind of want to ask, you know, on when, when I looked at your background, it seems that, you know, you, you were very fortunate to have solid, you know, mentors in your life. And I was kind of wondering on tips on, you know, that you might have on finding a mentor or, you know, good qualities you look for in a mentor or, you know, how you mentor others. Um, because, you know, it's kind of with your professor, it seems like, you know, maybe a lot of teachers might not be that honest, or maybe they would just say, oh, okay, no, you're oh, yeah. good to go into the medical field. Uh, and, you know, they wouldn't think yeah. about, you know, yeah. where, where your true passions lie. Absolutely. Yeah, man. So, uh, you know, I have always been the type of person that thinks that if I'm in, if I'm the smartest person in the room, that I'm in the wrong room. Mm. Um, because I, I've always felt that while maybe the classroom wasn't my favorite place to be, being in the presence of individuals who know more than I do about something has always been important to me. Um, and, you know, I, I've read a number of books and the, the books always say that throughout your life, you should always have a mentor and you should always be mentoring at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so um, what I look for in a mentor, and I've had numerous mentors across the, the 40 years of my life, uh, I look for a mentor who has, um, in my perspective, perfected whichever idea or business practice that I am looking to um, to add to my repertoire of business expertise, I look for those individuals that have really accomplished something. Mm-hmm. Um, guys that have been in the industry for years, um, guys that have uh, you know afforded themselves mass affluence due to basic you know business ventures and business investments, um, and then you know as far as mentees go, I always look for for guys who are um, a little bit more unfortunate guys who have, you know, some struggle stories, because I always believe that an individual who has been able to, to withstand the hardships of a hard upbringing or withstand the hardships of maybe not, not having the affluence that other people have had, that that individual is more hungry. They're, they're hungrier to, to be more successful. And so I look for um, traits that I had at their age. Um, Are they, are they motivated? 
Are they, are they driven? Are they honest? Do they have integrity? Do they display character in the, uh, in their day-to-day actions? Are they giving? Are they generous? Do they do things for other people? Um, because, you know, you want to make sure that you're not casting pearls before swine. And, and again, that's the same way with me. Am I embodying those principles that are important to my mentor at the same time that he's mentoring me? Am I paying attention? Am I doing everything that he tells me to do? Because I don't really necessarily want to waste his time either. You know, I've had a couple mentors in my past when I was younger who, you know, would be very honest with me and, and hold me accountable to mistakes that I was making, you know, being in my industry, being on premise based, you know, you're out in the bars and nightclubs and, and uh, stadium parties and football games and all these different things. So you can kind of get lost in the in the here and there mm-hmm. of that lifestyle. Um, and a few times in my life, I have a few times in my life, I've gotten kind of lost in that um, uh, in the in the fun, if you will, um, and wasn't really paying attention to what I was doing and growing myself. And they had to keep me accountable for that. So I always look for somebody who who is at a position in life that I want to be, that has the time to give back to me, but who will also make sure that I am accountable um, to to him and to the process that I'm trying to um, follow in my life at that time. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And when it comes to mentoring, I remembered, um, you know, you had this quote on another podcast talking about, I think it was that, uh, you know, everyone should, uh, uh, referee, I think a sport uh, sometimes they're like, yeah. and yeah, I was kind of yeah. wondering on, you know, where are the, I guess the parallels between that and I guess the entrepreneur, small business owner, um, lifestyle, you know, what, what kind of key lessons did you learn in doing something like that? Yeah, man. So my dad, um, while I was growing up, had a, uh, sports officiating business and, um, you know, one of the most, difficult jobs, I think, is being a, a referee. You're, you're never, you, you can never do anything right. Uh, if you make a, a call for one team, the other team's angry. If you don't make the call, the, the team that you should have made the call for is angry. And certainly what that gave me the opportunity to do is to practically apply knowledge um, and, and, and wisdom in the practice of my business, right? Because sometimes a foul really isn't a foul. Um, because it doesn't affect the play. Um, sometimes, you know, a very minor foul is a foul because it affects the play. Um, so in business, you really have to understand how to differentiate, especially in the management of people, um, what truly affects their lives uh, versus what truly affects the business. What's best for the business is generally the, the, the most important thing because you have a group of people that are inside of the business. And if one individual is not uh, performing in the way that they need to perform, that affects the business. And so as a, as an owner, you have to be able to kind of differentiate between the two. How do I um, meet the needs of my, my employee, my human asset, while also meeting the needs of the business and the other employees that are inside the business. Um, and that also really taught me as well um, how to really extinguish uh, you know, very inflammatory situations, you know, when you're on a, a court or you're on a field, uh, you know, tempers can flare and, you know, you really have to, you, you really have to be uh, aware of that. You have to be aware of how people are, are interacting. You have to look at nonverbal cues. You have to look at body language, which is always important in that sales process. Um, you know, when you're looking at 
uh, a person that you're making a pitch to, their nonverbal cues are they are they into what I'm saying? Are they are they listening to me? Um, are they nodding their head? What what are they doing? And that really can help a person follow along a sales process and get to get them to where uh, they want to go. And so, I just think that um, that you know e- either service industry because that's a very tough you know tough industry mm-hmm. to be in, serving people and dealing with the ups and downs of what people want whenever they're trying to experience a good time at a venue uh, or refereeing. It's 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 one of those jobs, man, that you just want to. You want to take on so that you can experience what it is to be kind of the bad guy sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, but being able to, again, maintain your integrity and understand, you know, what's right and what's wrong and how that truly affects the scenario and to make the best decision for the best outcome uh, for all parties involved. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I, I guess with the importance of that, like with um, juggling with so many personalities and making sure to take care of um you know if there's any uh harsh uh, conversations going on between employees i mean has that uh, i guess been crazy at blue minia during the covid19 uh pandemic or you know were you able to pull it together yeah man i mean honestly we've got an awesome team Uh, my team is absolutely amazing um you know my business partners are fantastic uh you know we've been partners for 12 years those guys are like my brothers um and you know, all of my staff, every single person really embodies um, what we call the owner's mentality, which is um, every decision that you make is a decision that an owner would make. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, how do I maximize utility? How do I mitigate costs? And how do I what what can I do to make sure that the end game of what we're whatever process, whatever endeavor that we're working on is best for the business? And um, whether it's my marketing team, my sales team, my logistics team, my operations team, my manufacturing team, my technical team. I mean, we've got so many teams now. Um, You know, we really have a very strong fraternity. Um, uh, And, and, you know, we we do have some ladies that work for us. So fraternity is not just the guys, but we just have a very strong family relationship where everybody works together for the betterment of, uh, of our business. Now, that's not to say that we don't have our disagreements from time to time, but everyone truly knows and understands what our goal is. Every single person that's in my company right now, you know, I tell them all the time, Hey, I want this to be the last job that you ever had. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they kind of look at me puzzled and I say, look, I want to make sure that our business grows so that you can grow with us to where you'll never have to leave because you're always going to be compensated in a manner that is indicative of where your profession leads you across the career or your career path. And then lastly, if our business ever sells, you know, I want to make sure that my, my employees after a period of time are vested into our business. And so when we sell, they'll get a share of that revenue that comes if we ever do sell. Um, and, and I think what that does is it builds a camaraderie. It builds a family atmosphere that everybody understands that they're working together for the greater good of everyone around them. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So I, I kind of liked how you kind of touched up on, you know, every employee having the owner mentality and working towards that goal. And I guess the, I want to, if you wanted to kind of expand on the ultimate goal that is Blue Mania, what were, uh, I guess, what were the main issues, I guess, in the energy drink market that you were trying to address with Blue Mania? Yeah, man. So, um, you know, that that was 2009 uh, when we launched that. Um, I had been an avid energy drinker for for almost 10 years mm-hmm. um, at that point. You know, my, my generation uh, was really uh, responsible for the advancement 
of, of energy drinks. You know, the generation before mine was the, uh, you know, the advancement of the, uh, the coffee cup, the Starbucks and so forth and so on. Uh, our generation was really the, the, the what helped grow energy drinks. And the, the unfortunate thing that had happened around that time is I was, I was almost about 30 years old and I had already had started having some of the negative side effects that energy drinks cause, um, which uh, most people uh, start to experience as they get into their late twenties, early thirties, which is that acid reflux. Uh, and generally speaking, that's due to um, a number of things. They can be, you know, hereditary, uh, but generally speaking, it's due to uh, consumption of various, you know, various uh, products. Um, and in a lot of people's case, it's overconsumption of caffeine and, um, and other metabolites and stimulants to kind of keep you going. You know, we live in a day, uh, an age where, you know, it's that hustle mentality. You know, I was just on a podcast about the hustle. Um, and, and a, a lot of people feel that they need to be overly energized in order to get that done because they don't generally have a passion for what they're doing. They're, they're hustling after money, but they don't have the passion for, for what that money brings, you know, to be able to help other people and do things like that. So the caffeine is what gets them through the day. Um, and so what we decided to do is we decided to break energy drinks down to figure out what was healthy for you and what was not healthy for you. Um, and in our case, we really wanted to emulate what Red Bull was doing because at the time Red Bull was still number one energy drink in the market. You know, they still are. Um, and you know, people liked the fact that it gave you some, some, some good energy. Um, they liked the fact that it had a branded taste. Um, you know, that's that traditional energy drink flavor. Um, and what's most important for my business is the alcohol mixability. You know, the, Hey, I'm, I've had a tough day. I want to go have a cocktail to kind of loosen me up, but I also don't want it to make me fall asleep. So I want to, I want to energize that cocktail a little bit. Mm. Um, and so for, you know, what we did was we had to make sure that if we were going to be mixing it with alcohol, that it needed to be as safe as what it could be for anybody consuming it. So in our drink, we only have 80 milligrams of guarana based caffeine. Uh, we have a B vitamin complex and we have taurine. That's it. There's no preservatives. There's no other additives. Um, no, no other stimulants, no other metabolites. It's just a really great product that will, you know, give you that guarana based uh, bell curve caffeine. Um, so there's no crash. It's just kind of a gradual, you know, come down rather than, you know, other energy drinks that spike you and then you, you crash because, you know, they've got 200, 300, 400 milligrams of caffeine. You spike way up and then you come down. That's true with anything. Look, it's cause and effect. Um, and so we knew that we wanted to be a, a product that would make pe people feel better and give them the opportunity to function at the highest level possible without overstimulating them and without giving them that crash or any of the other negative um, physical side effects that come from energy drinks, the heart palpitations, uh, the upset stomach, the jitters, you know, those things. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I think we really accomplished that. I think individuals that are um, that are hooked on our product, they know that Blue Mania is going to give you a product that's great tasting. There's no bitter vitamin aftertaste. Um, but that's also, um, as healthy as it can be for you, uh, as far as a stimulant based, uh, beverage goes. Mm -hmm. Um, and so that's, that was really our goal, man, was, was to do that. And then, um, about four or five years ago, we really decided that on-premise was going to be our niche, that on-premise was going to be what we wanted to focus on. Um, just because, you know, it, we love service industry and, uh, and we wanted to be able to provide products, not only Blue Mania, but also our EasyBev products um, that were the best tasting, uh, best priced, highest service uh, uh, 
products out there uh, that we could then be able to go after other other products like Coke and Pepsi, similar way that we're going after uh, after Red Bull. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Uh, yeah, I definitely kind of liked on, you know, on the different types of B vitamins and other offerings in this energy drink that uh, you touched up on. I remember checking out the website and seeing something about I think it was like instead of preservatives, it was uh, like tunnel pasteurization. Tunnel pasteurized, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was kind of wondering, uh, you know, what that meant. So tunnel pasteurization is we pour the product into the can. Uh, The can passes through an oven that heats it up to 170 degrees, which kills all the bacteria within the within the um, within the drink. Uh, And then as as it passes through, it's then canned off Mm -hmm. so that you don't have to put any preservatives in there to kill the bacteria um, or or mold or funguses or anything else like that that would grow in the event that, um, you know, you didn't do that process or that, you you know, you didn't put preservatives in it. Mm -hmm. So it's a much healthier option um, for for people to. For people, especially those that are looking to kind of clean up their um, clean up their uh, their digestive tract and eliminate any of those negative preservatives that that uh, most of the companies out there are putting into the products. Mm-hmm. Definitely, and I kind of like to you know you also touch up on the marketing differences as well for your product, um, mm-hmm. specifically going into more of an on premise niche. Is there? Mm-hmm. I guess any marketing differences between you and maybe um, like the standard Rockstar Red Bull? Because I know with Red Bull, when I guess they came out, they kind of mentioned that they really went specifically to nightclubs because they knew Monster and Rockstar kind of controlled the entire industry. So they had to kind of switch over. Is it, um, you know, do you try to, I was kind of wondering on, you know, how do you, I guess, market this beverage on, I saw kind of like you guys work with like the Ritz and, you know, uh, how'd you, I guess, go to them on, you know, going to your product instead of, uh, you know, the name brand uh, Red Bull. Yeah, man. So it's, 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 there's three, three functions of that. Number one is obviously going to be the quality of the ingredients, the taste, mm-hmm. the alcohol mixability. Um, number two is going to be the, the price, um, one of the most expensive products behind a bar per ounce is, is Red Bull. Um, and so we want to be able to provide an option um, that was price competitive, um, but still provided the quality that they needed. And then lastly was service. You know, what a lot of people will say about our competitors is that they're very brand abrasive. They require certain things of the accounts in order for them to get the, uh, the product. Mm-hmm. From our side, we don't require any of those things. Look, man, we're we're here at the end of the day to service our accounts, to serve our accounts rather than sell our accounts. It's one of the the uh, the uh, the strategies that we employ that is very different than our competitors is that we uh, we employ a strategy of servanthood versus salesman. Uh, we want to make sure that when we go into an account that we're giving them what they need rather than selling them what we need. Um, and, and that's really been lent um, to the, to the success of our business. It's lent to um, the longevity of our business. I mean, man, thousands of energy drinks have come and gone over the last 12 mm-hmm. years. Um, but, you know, we may not be as big as Monster. We may not be as big as Red Bull, uh, but we have a very good name. We have a very good following. And I really believe that, um, that that is a testament to the way that we employ our business practices and how we market and how we work with our accounts. Definitely. Definitely. And you touched up a little bit earlier on kind of some of the online capabilities with the Blue Mania website. And I wanted to kind of ask on that on, you know, if you see that continuing, because I know 
uh, during COVID-19, I was seeing a lot of the stats um, with websites like Drizzly and like all these other to-go ordering capabilities. And now with, um, you know, some of those restaurants allowing uh, the to-go orders becoming a permanent uh, law now. I was kind of wondering if, you know, if, if you're seeing online uh, distribution and sales like becoming a, even a bigger thing or will it still be a large part of your business? Yeah, man, absolutely. So um, we have a full marketing team uh, at Blue Mania. Um, it's led by actually my cousin, Brandon. Uh, he leads a team of, um, of three people that actually do a fantastic job himself. Um, Zach Gorgas and Macy Thrasher run that for us. Um, they do a fantastic job. Actually had a, had a great meeting with them um, today, actually discussing kind of how we're going to be uh, approaching our sales and marketing through our online presence uh, moving forward. And so I truly believe that online sales is really going to be where um, uh, the majority of consumer um purchases are going to be made moving into, you know, the next decade. Um, if COVID showed us anything, it's that um, I think we are um, becoming more of an automated society. Uh, uh -huh. Things are becoming um, more um, available to us online. And so from that aspect, what our goal is going to be doing is, is to really push our sales through online marketplaces like our website, BlueManiaEnergy.com. Um, where you can actually go on there and there's a there's a purchase code on there that actually give you a discount plus free shipping. And it knocks the case price down to like $22 a case, uh, which is awesome mm -hmm. for uh, anybody who knows the tremendous cost of energy drinks. Generally, um, that price mm -hmm. is about $6 off of what um, our retail price is. And uh, we also have uh, Shopify and we have Amazon. And so I really believe that as consumers get um, more accustomed to the automation of online ordering. Like I'll tell you this, man, I order all of my groceries mm -hmm. online. Um, the, there's a Tom thumb in my neighborhood and I can order everything online, automate that. And with a click of the button and about a two, three hour wait window, um, you know, they drop everything off to my, to my doorstep and I don't have to even leave the house, which has really become very, um, you know, very convenient for myself and for, my girlfriend, Nikki. Um, and yeah, man, I just think that, that in order to, you know, like we discussed earlier, in order to really evolve mm -hmm. as a business, you really need to take online sales um, very, very seriously. And I think that companies that do not are just going to find themselves stuck in that ever present um, game of, of cat and mouse with retailers. You know, it's a very mm -hmm. expensive segment. Energy drinks are the most expensive um, shelf inside of a convenience store or grocery store cooler. Um, a lot of energy drinks have come and gone, man, because they just spent so much money on trying to work with a retailer. And, you know, if they're mm -hmm. not a very well-known brand, man, you can really spend a lot of money and go bankrupt um, with, with, with no guarantee on future sales and or future placement, which is really the scariest thing for, for you know, mid-level or smaller uh, products like ours. And that goes across the board. So I think there's a lot of people um, that have made some very big successes. You know, there's a number of energy drinks that started online and now hugely successful. And so I think that's where we're going to start migrating. Um, and I, I believe that um, you'll start seeing more of a push from that from us on uh, across our social media platforms and into our um, into our website itself on, on where we go moving into 2022. Definitely. And you kind of um, really talk a lot about kind of, I guess, the importance of diversifying 
um, kind of on all the the aspects of your website, um, just developing your website and also going into sites like Amazon on developing the product. And even bigger from that, when I see you kind of have uh, basically having to do multiple businesses during the COVID-19 pandemic with easy supply. And then also I know you're a part of Gaslight. Um, and yeah. I was kind of wondering if you wanted to touch up on that on, I, I guess, how, what, how was it on being a bar owner at the same time as I, I guess running, you know, a company like Blue Mania? Yeah, man. So, you know, one of the things that I try to point out for people is, you know, I've been doing Blue Mania and my beverage business for 12 years. And, um, you know, that business is really capable of running itself. I have a very good team there, uh, very good business partners there. And what that allowed me to do is really help focus on some other ventures that I'd always been interested in being a part of. And um, last year, um, my girlfriend, Nikki, you know, we had an opportunity to really begin to help diversify and for her to become more of a, um, a presence in my business life. And, she, you know, opening a bar slash restaurant had always been her goal. And so we, we put a group together of some, uh, some entrepreneurs that uh, have one, one already has um, a bar group that he's a part of and is owner of another friend is a hotel um, entrepreneur. He owns a few hotels. And then my side on the beverage side really gave her the opportunity to focus in on what her expertise, her expertise has been over the last 10 years, which is hospitality. And, um, yeah, man. So we, we put that together with, with grant, with, you know, visions of grandeur and how everything we, we thought was going to happen. And a month later, COVID happened. And so, you know, we had to shut the doors, um, for, for about 45 days. Um, luckily being in Texas here, some of the rules, uh, we're not as strict as what they are in other states. So uh, we were able to operate at about 50%. Um, but, you, ne- you know, you never really uh, are able to to gain much momentum at 50%. Um, you know, we still had to deal with some of the local um, bureaucracies that were just, you know, trying to do their best to follow the guidance from above, which to me was just a complete political ploy uh, to you know destroy our country. And we can get into that maybe on another uh, conversation, <laughs> um, especially as we've seen, you know, as, as businesses are opening back up, um, you know, zero to no COVID deaths during days and so forth and so, so on. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, managing that in my and, and, and navigating uh, that very difficult time was very tough. And then, you know, everything opened back up in March and um, about a month and a half after that, the bar burned down. There was a, uh, um, mm-hmm. a electrical accident and um, you know, the bar burned down. So that was, you know, again, another issue that you have to deal with. And, and so this is, you know, I say all that, it, that if we're going to give you know some advice to some entrepreneurs, be sure that whatever you're doing, uh, you know, I said earlier to jump in with both feet, but also make sure that if you decide to start diversifying portfolios, that you that you really have the time to do that and or somebody within your very close group uh, that you trust unequivocally to run that um, is in your corner because the mm-hmm. amount of effort that it takes to truly run a business correctly, um, it, it, it takes all of your attention. And so you have to have that. And um, if I can give anybody any advice, if you're looking at diversifying, make, make sure that you have one 
at least one very strong stream of income that is your main money maker, that is paying your bills, that is allowing you to save money in order to invest into a new venture. And don't get tied up into what you know you see out there on social media or on the internet or on TV that says, hey, you got to diversify this, diversify that. You know, spend your time doing this. Oh, wait a minute, spend your time doing this. Oh, wait, there's this too. You know, if you if you uh, yeah, there's a there's a Bible verse that says no man can serve two masters. And that's very true. Um, you know, if one business is your master, then let that be your master. But if you're the master of that business and it's running itself, then, you know, venture off and do your own thing. Uh, but don't get lost in the in the epic cycle of, you know, want, uh, because if you want to do something and want to do that, your business is always going to want back. And whether that's time, uh, energy or, or money, it's, it's always going to happen that way. So I always encourage people to to, you know, really look into the um, the. Uh, the, the, the true logistics of launching another business, if they're currently employed by a company or if they're currently an entrepreneur, mm-hmm. always look in every factor because, um, you know, it's going to cost about double the, the amount of time, energy and effort to really make that that business successful. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And I wanted to ask on, you know, really with all your experience coming from the beverage industry and you're getting involved into hospitality and to the restaurant environment, I was kind of wondering on, you know, where do you see maybe overall restaurants going from here after the pandemic. Uh, I, I know there's kind of this major quote from David Chang where he talks about, you know, this pandemic has proven that uh, restaurants are kind of like the modern day bank where vendors, uh, credit card companies, uh, uh, reservation systems, um, delivery services, all of them, you know, require, you know, they want to take out their percentage off the top on, you know, a very successful restaurant. And, you know, a lot of people kind of come in and, you know, try to take out a little bit of revenue. So I was kind of wondering on, you know, what do you see restaurants are going to have to start doing to survive in a situation like this? Increased profit margin. (laughs) Um, You know, like like what you said, I mean, it's it's the reason why, you know, um, you go to a, a bar in Dallas and. Uh, a vodka soda or vodka blue mania is uh, 13 to $15. Uh, you know, it's inflation. Things just keep going up. So, um, you know, I see restaurants, you know, ever increasing uh, the cost of a sandwich, the cost of a, a taco and the cost of a drink. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you've got to be wary of that. You've got to look at where market trends are going. Um, you know, it costs more money to build restaurants now. I mean, lumber for um, uh, you know, plywood is trip or doubled tripled i think what the 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 number was here recently um in -hmm. cost i think it's doubled i think plywood's doubled um and and other building materials have tripled so you're going to look at really um you know restaurateurs really trying to maximize the value of every uh venue that they open uh and and then also moving forward you know they're going to look at at ways of automating their systems you know the the ubers uh are a fantastic way of doing that you know a, a restaurant you know uber eats and um DoorDash and all these other companies are really going to assist restaurants um, with the ability to increase capacity through getting their menu out to individuals who don't necessarily want to cook or or go out to eat. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, you can increase a restaurant's capacity from 100 tables to an exponential amount of tables uh, based upon the amount of Uber Uber Eats or DoorDash orders that go out, uh, that can really assist them with, you know, mitigating costs and maximizing profitability, which again is the, you know, the key to it, to any good owner success. And so I think moving into the future, those smart restaurateurs and those smart bar owners are, are really going to have to begin to access every 
um, every measure that's out there and that's available to them. And if, and if they're smart, they'll do that. If they're, you know, if they're dead set on, on, um, you know, using forms of business that are becoming archaic, they're, they too are going to, you know, they're, they're going to fall apart. Like I said earlier, COVID, um, didn't really bankrupt a lot of businesses, uh, per se. It just increased the time, um, to, to their bankruptcy. And that's because, mm-hmm. you know, people were not smart, did not get into that DoorDash, Uber Eats, um, and, and other, other options for them to, to really work. Uh, and, and you really saw that with some of these poor people that just didn't have the ability to, to do things. You know, they didn't file for EIDL. They didn't file for PPP. They were doing things the old way. And, um, and, and that, that really happened. It's sad. It's super sad, man. You know, and, and again, you can't expect, you know, people who have been restaurateurs for 50 years who are in their 60s and 70s, um, you know, to, to really make that change. But in order for, for you know, progress to happen, things have to fall fall apart. And, you know, those those buildings that were there and those restaurants that were there will hopefully be reopened by restaurateurs that are a little bit more further uh, minded thinking and mm-hmm. uh, uh, future forward thinking. Uh, and, and I think that's really where restaurants are going to be going moving into the future. You're going to see a lot of a lot more automation. Definitely. And to, I guess, kind of wrap, uh, wrap the episode up, I wanted to ask on, you, you kind of touched up on a lot of what entrepreneurs possibly can do if they're wanting to get into the hospitality and restaurant environment and some of the things, some of the costs and the revenues that they'll look out for. Mm-hmm. Uh, I guess I wanted to ask on, you know, Gaslight, what was, I, I guess the idea when you're opening Gaslight, what was the, I guess, what was missing in the food and beverage um environment in Dallas that you were trying to, I guess, uh, fill with the Gaslight Bar? And is there, I guess, any t- styles of bars or anything that you think is still not, um, you know, appreciated to the full amount in the DFW Metroplex? Um, man, you know, the, the great thing about being in DFW is that we really have an eclectic group of entrepreneurs and restaurateurs that, um, that have really embodied about every aspect of of a venue that you can really think about. Um, the, the idea for Gaslight was really to, to bring a renaissance about um, in, the, in the upper McKinney area. There hadn't been a new venue in, in, in a few years. Um, the building that, that we decided to, um, to put Gaslight in had previously been a bar that had done really well uh, called Eastwoods, owned by a great friend of mine named Chris Johnson. It had done really well, um, but it, it, it just, you know, it, it just kind of out, outlived its, its, its lifespan there. And, it, and there needed to be some some uh, renovations and some things done to really brighten that up and bring it into, you know, to 2020, uh, if you will. And so I think we did that. I think the one thing that the um, that the city was missing was Nikki Bloxton, who's my girlfriend. Uh, her ideas and the great things that she brings about as far as her ideas and um, her expectations of, of what uh, a bar is. And I think what gas I ended up becoming was was really something more than what we ever had ever dreamed, which was a uh, an international uh, crowd that had been looking for a, a home. And that international crowd included, um, you know, uh, groups from all over the world, Central and South America, Africa. We had a very big um, mm-hmm. uh, Nigerian night. Uh, we had some good friends of ours that were promoters uh, of a Nigerian night that had some very good recipes that they would bring in, some fish. Our fish was becoming city famous um, mm-hmm. through our, our guys there, AJ and, and Black. 
good friends of mine um, that had brought in a really good crowd that, um, you know, had just mentioned to me on a number of occasions that they, that they'd never had a home somewhere that Gaslight was a home for them. And so we were able to really provide that for that community, really bring more of an eclectic flavor um, to, to McKinney Avenue that they hadn't seen in in a while. And, um, you know, if, if I could just give anybody, you know, some advice about, you know, the, the bar life is, is, is to be, um, to be fluid, to, to not set yourself into any certain category, but allow your, um, allow your patrons to dictate what your bar does, you know, as, as more and more patrons of a certain, uh, color, uh, color or creed come in, you know, accept them for who they are, give them the opportunity to, to, to enjoy a, uh, a fine establishment and to enjoy mm-hmm. some, some fine hospitality and, and give them the opportunity to bless you. Like what we were blessed at Gaslight by our crowd. Definitely. No, it seems like, I guess that importance of community is definitely seen, not just, um, and kind of what you experienced with Gaslight, but you know, in what you do with Blue Mania and then easy supply within your businesses. But yeah. I want to thank you again, Adam, for you yeah, know, this episode today. I thought it was, you know, a very, interesting conversation going into blue mania as soon as i you know saw the product when i kind of was walking around uptown and it was definitely wanted uh, something i wanted to speak on um but no i'm definitely happy that you know the energy drink is doing well during all this and moving forward and um that you guys have like a lot of uh large plans and goals moving forward with uh blue mania Definitely do, man. And they, thank you very much for giving me this opportunity. Uh, email me your uh, your address and I'll, I'll send you some swag, some hats and shirts. In case. <laughs> so get you taken care of. Definitely. You know, I'll rock it. Okay. Alrighty, brother. I appreciate you, man. Definitely. You as well. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Platinum Mask Podcast. Stay connected with us directly through theplatinummask.com. You can also join the discussion on Instagram at graymask12. If you would like to speak with us, please send us an email through maskgrayson at gmail.com. And as always, thank you for pushing your mindset towards a better reality. This concludes the most thought-provoking portion of your day. Don't forget to like and subscribe to stay fully up to date. Until next time, raise a glass to success, no matter how you define it.